0: After 25 years in the fashion industry, I've realized that fashion is not really about the clothes, it's about the people. I'm Laura Van Root and this is What We Wore. Sue Sartor is an inspiring force. She started her namesake brand of joyful dresses at 47 years old after focusing on raising her three children. Sue's story is a testimony to the power of writing your own timeline and finding your authentic calling. Sue Sarter, I'm so excited to have you in person, in the studio, and in Charlotte, and I'm sorry for such a very cold day. Oh my goodness, <laughs>
1: well, I have been a fan for so long, and Laura, I am just delighted to be here with you today, so thanks for having me.
0: Oh, can't wait. Will you tell the listeners where you're from?
1: Oh, my gosh! That's a loaded question. <laughs> so, you know, like so many people, I'm from all over the place. Yeah. I was born in Needham, Massachusetts, and spent summers on Cape Cod, where yeah. my parents are now retired. Oh. And in fourth grade we, tr- we my dad was transferred to Wall Street and we moved to Summit New Jersey. Oh wow. yeah. And then I went to Tulane <laughs> and ended up in the south and have lived in Louisiana for over thirty years.
0: What did you like about growing up in the Northeast?
1: You know, the Northeast and New England in particular, it's such a feeling Um, and it's informed a lot of my, you know, design decisions and the love of the outdoors and art and just the salty air and my dad calls it the Portuguese cure, you know, being able to dunk (laughs) in the bay and just be able to kind of wash everything away. So we made sure that raising our kids in Louisiana, that we would at least go up there once a year and sort of have that unadulterated experience of... Being on the Cape and the coast, the you know, New England coast. Yeah.
0: And, There's really nothing, nothing like a New England summer.
1: It is. It's a beautiful thing.
0: Other than the black flies. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. That the, that and the noceums is um, <laughs> something to be reckoned with.
0: <laughs> Did you gravitate towards fashion
1: or art as a child? That's as long as I can remember. Yeah. So just being really artistic, appreciating the visual world. Took you know the art as many art classes in high school as I could. We had an incredible art teacher, and so all through high school I painted and and did art. And then in the early nineties, I actually worked for an art gallery in Europe for a while, and in in Europe, in Paris and in Monte Carlo. And then after that, when I graduated college, it was like, okay, art or design. Which one where am I going to go in? Which one am I going to go into? Mm-hmm. And um, I interviewed with Calvin Klein. And I interviewed with Mark Hampton and Chanel all in one day. Oh
0: my God, what did you wear?
1: This it was honestly <laughs> like the craziest day, and I wore a black suit that my mom helped me buy at an outlet. Filings. <laughs> <And, laughs> um, my mom's <laughs> no. massive filings basement gal. It may have been filings,
0: but wasn't that just the very best uh, thing in the
1: world? Oh my gosh, my mom filings basement in Boston, and then she's a big Marshalls fan. Yeah, <laughs> too. I mean, she's a she's an upcycler and a thrift. By heart, anyways, but um, very New England ever, very New England, (laughs) and then to go to Bloomingdale's for the blueberry muffin and there's that yogurt, Jordan Marsh, Jordan Marsh, yes, there you go, (laughs) yeah, Yeah. wow, it's all coming back to me. (laughs) But so I had those three interviews in the day. It was such an awkward day. I ended up taking the job with Calvin. I had set my hair so that it could be wavy for Chanel and I had the red lipstick in my pocket. Oh, my God. And in and, and the taxi over, I was brushing my hair out to have more of like the severe kind of drone <laughs> look with the Max Spice lip <laughs> liner and twiggy or whatever it was, the <laughs> real Twig. brown. And then I interviewed with Susan Sokol, who was the head of the women's collection at the time. And then she reached out later or her assistant and said, you're hired, but Calvin saw you in the hallway and you have to ditch the red lips, because no I guess a little way. was coming through. Really? Yeah, he called me. Mm-hmm. I do
0: remember that about Calvin. That you would—it was the first place. I know Prada did it as well, and still does it. But you couldn't bring your own coffee in. If you brought coffee in from Starbucks or right, right. you know, off the street, you had to pour it into a Calvin cup. The branding cup when went you got in.
1: all the way through, <laughs> and it was. So wonderful to have experienced yeah. that at that yeah. level,
0: oh, and at that moment too. In I mean, that, what what was the year? Oh, it was the nineties.
1: Yes, yeah. ninety, ninety one. Oh my god! And just being that's a, unbelievable, unbelievable. Being part of that and the people in that space. I mean, there. I mean, Narcissa Rodriguez was yeah. there, and Carolyn Bessette was there, and um, <laughs> Scott Newkirk was yeah, there. Yeah, just just incredibly beautiful, <laughs> talented people, and. Uh, but, yeah, the branding and, the, and that experience and getting them on the front end, like, hire that, hire her. But she's got to you know, straighten the hair and the lipstick's got to come down. And, oh, my um, gosh. Yeah. Yeah.
0: How did your fashion change when you moved from New England?
1: Yeah. Did
0: it change? I mean, did you yes. realize? Did you notice how preppy you had been? Yes,
1: definitely. Definitely. <laughs> Even though it was just, you know, fourth grade, I have an older sister and brother and you know then it was all the wide well cords yeah. and the papagallas and the feral sweaters and i think you know somewhere around junior year I was vacillating between that preppier look and then there was all of a sudden the like gypsy genie thing and the, remember the like, it was almost like MC Hammer pants, but they were tied. I don't know. I tried it all. I was willing to try it all. Um, Never had an exact style of my own, but I definitely was out there (laughs) trying my best.
0: I know this is something you don't often talk about, but will you share a little bit about the accident you had as a child? Oh, gosh. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So when I was nine, I had an accident that impaired the vision in my left eye. Mm. It was um, a lawnmower accident. My mom had planted some – we lived on kind of a hill in an old English Tudor home in Summit. She had planted roses and but the mulch was out and some of the roses weren't planted yet and we had a, one of those old ride on tractor mm. lawnmowers we would ride it for fun around you know <laughs> kind of it was kind of hilly and fun and it just it was unfortunate we had a, a neighbor who just ended up kind of riding on it and the blade was still on and i was lying down kind of sunbathing outside you know it was just one of those things that it 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 tore my optic nerve and my retina and left me with patches over both eyes for subsequent months and on steroids and as a young woman gained a lot of weight. And How I, old were you? I, nine.
0: Oh, my god! So I
1: think it just made me all the more appreciative of the visual world and really never to take that for granted. And, you know, so that's a silver lining. And then really today, the beauty is that medicine has advanced so much That, you know, with all of the laser surgeries and everything with um, ophthalmology that's advanced, that if it happened to one of our kiddos today, it'd be an easy repair for an optic nerve or a retina. But at the time, it was just too far gone. Did it damage your... Oh, depth. Your depth perception and sense of color and things like that? Yes, I do not play tennis. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) I can't. I mastered lacrosse in, in high school. It was like I was determined So I played basketball and lacrosse, but tennis is just still, I mean, it's just comical to watch me play tennis, (laughs) but yeah. But color is still very much, you know, my right eye is very strong, but I just, I don't take anything for granted. I already was very visual and um, especially visual. Did it happen during the summer? It was right before the summer. So that summer after there was no swimming, I had to... Quit ballet, quit gymnastics. No, wow. no forward. You know, yeah. tumbles or for the pressure. It was all yeah. about keeping the pressure stabilized. And then
0: by the time fall came, you were back in school, or back in
1: school, but but you know, had gained a lot of weight with all the steroids, so that oh. my you know I, I wouldn't reject. Yeah, it. and so yeah, I think that made me all the more like more sensitive and just thoughtful, and you know, kind yeah. of helped.
0: So that was nine. And then yeah. you say so you spent the rest of your- I was born a very old, a very old
1: person. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I think- I was already very serious. So yeah. I yeah. So I become kind of younger as I've gotten older. Kind of became a lot, really, now that I'm thinking about it, more of an observer yeah. of things and just more thoughtful and more introspective.
0: Yeah. Did it make you more risk adverse?
1: <sighs> Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, to this day, I don't. I mean, that's probably the one thing. We don't own a lawn mower. We don't. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think so. Great question.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and so then after spending your childhood there, you chose to go to New Orleans to Tulane for college. Yeah. How did you come up with that? <laughs> so my
1: mom was a guidance counselor. My brother oh, wow. went to Michigan. My sister went to Boston. <laughs> um, my younger sister went to Colorado. And I just really wanted my own thing. Yeah. And Tulane, when I went to visit It was just magic. It just was – I mean, I could just feel it. Just the creativity running through the city and the art and the culture and the people and the level of acceptance with people. Um, It was just such a beautiful, kinetic, magical space. And it still plays such a big role in our lives.
0: I'm going through – College visits with my daughter. (laughs) Did you visit before you applied or did you visit after you got in? So
1: I visited before and I was 18 and my mom let me fly. Oh
0: my gosh, by yourself. Yeah.
1: And actually, I met my husband that weekend. What? Who's four (laughs) years older. We didn't date, we didn't, you know, (laughs) nine years ensued between the space, but I actually met him that weekend. He was um, a fraternity brother of one of my brother's best friends from Cape Cod sea camps huh. who had who was at Tulane. And so my mom said, oh, well, you could just go down and oh, honey, you'll be fine. And meanwhile, I'm <laughs> staying with all these fraternity guys. And um, But yeah, it was a great weekend, but I experienced all of that you know, I mean, what did crawfish. you think when you
0: came to New- like when you landed in New Orleans? Were you like, "What in the world"? Yeah,
1: I thought everyone was going to speak French, and <laughs> I had taken French. I mean, I was a little bit misled in what I thought it was going to be like, but it was everything and more. It was just, it was just fantastic.
0: Yeah, and what did you major in?
1: Um, art history. Oh wow, and studio, studio art. And I did a my honors thesis on Larry Rivers, oh, wow. um, so I got to fly to New York and interview him and. It was pretty cool.
0: What did you love about the South then? What do you love about it now?
1: Honestly, Louisiana, really a lot like New England. It just speaks to me. It just got a hold of me. And I met my husband at Tulane and we started dating my senior year. And he's from
0: Louisiana. Yes.
1: And he's a surgeon and a musician. He kind of has both sides of the brain going, (laughs) which I kind of do too. And so we have a lot of fun especially when we're in New Orleans but you know the south is just it's wonderful it's collegial it's 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 beautiful and as far as designing now there's so many places to glean inspiration mm-hmm. especially the women and mm-hmm. the way they like to dress and the fact that they want to be more exuberant and more colorful and you know it's it's a great it's a great place for me to be inspired and to create
0: definitely and so after college, you went to you moved to Europe to work?
1: Yeah. So I had a stint in Paris and in Monte Carlo with a gallery. It was called the Marisa Del Rey Gallery. They did the FIAC um, in Paris at the Grand Palais, but they also did the Biennale on the grounds mm. of the casino. I mean, this was like, I wow. can't believe I got... To, <laughs> it was all very small snippets, but I got to experience the big world before I settled in the deep south. So it was almost <laughs> like by the time we were ready to settle down, you know, I felt like I'd had little snippets of living in New York and – and and that was a blessing for me because i it really made me appreciate it all
0: mm-hmm. but made me
1: kind of ready for that next step
0: did you go by yourself
1: i did i wow. do a lot of stuff by myself i'm very independent i,
0: mean, I'm, I'm, I love a solo travel i'm a solo travel girl <laughs> i love a movie by myself yeah. i love dinner by myself
1: i love quiet spaces <laughs> yeah. and i love i love all of that yeah
0: what did you learn about yourself living in europe at such a young age
1: yeah, I, Yeah, <laughs> i I learned that I love to be independent. I love art and culture. Um, I love to experience all of those things. The more, the merrier. I realized that it could be a really lonely space too, mm-hmm. um, especially Paris. I I think Paris to me, so far and my limited amount of travels in my life so far, I think it's probably the loneliest city if you're not with. You just need a friend or a partner Mm. or someone to share it with because I think it's so joyful and there's so much to learn in Paris. But if you're alone, it's a little intimidating to go to all those spaces and sharing it makes it all the more magic. And then how did you – why did you come back? Uh, I came back. I had taken some French over there at a place called the Eureux Centre. And um, my time was done with the gallery. And it was time for me to apply for the real job. <laughs> and so that's when all of that ensued. And I ended up at Calvin.
0: You weren't married at the time? No.
1: We and, were dating, though.
0: Uh-huh. And he was in residency? He was in residency. In Louisiana? In Maryland. Oh, okay. So halfway yeah. in between?
1: Yeah. I got a job with Calvin doing visual merchandising. For the D.C. area.
0: And so you So lived... Neiman's,
1: Saks, Chevy Chase. Oh, wow. All of that. Well, that's yeah.
0: a whole – I mean, that's a whole skill set in itself.
1: Yeah. So I got the <laughs> whole visual merchandising thing, which is great. And if Cal – if he'd come do a personal appearance, I could go ahead and, you know, get the store ready and so, you know, manage all of the aesthetics beforehand.
0: That Those were legendary stores, too, at, at that time.
1: Oh, yeah. Weren't they Tyson's that, Corner? Ne- and yeah, and whole... Neiman's, Chevy Chase. Yeah. And, and Saks, Chevy Chase, and huh. all of that.
0: And what what did you learn from Calvin?
1: Oh gosh, well it, we <laughs> never. It was never like, hey Sue, hey Calvin. I mean, it was always. <laughs> it was you know I was in the showroom. I was one of the the women's collection girls and assistants in the showroom, and then helped with the fashion shows, and then went on the road to do visual merchandising. But what I learned was really that all branding is good branding. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember the Marky Mark billboard. <laughs> remember, I mean, all of this stuff. I mean, Kate. With Moss- Kate. Mosse, yeah, it was it was so controversial at the time, but it was so poignant. It was all marketing is good marketing, any buzz is good buzz. But he used to walk through in his underwear, and <laughs> you know everybody used to come through. I mean, it was it was big. It was, you know, <laughs> Bianca Jagger and uh, Sharon Stone, and because Carolyn Bessette would dress all of right. these gals and. It was an incredible time. But as
0: a, as an entrepreneur, what are there things that you learned from him or watching him work or oh, watching com- how the business works?
1: Oh, completely. I mean, you have to be your brand. You have to be it through and through. You have to stay focused, stay in your lane. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's stuff. So yeah, many- because
0: they really lost the yeah. – I mean, they they really went off the rails. Yeah. There's not there's no collection anymore. That's right. It's and just it, underwear. Gosh, it was
1: – yeah, and it, it was such a beautiful time. Yeah. Uh, I was so focused. Yeah. Uh, and the aesthetic was, you know, so clean, and there was nothing like it. And every woman felt so beautiful mm. in those clothes. Yeah. Being focused, not not looking to the right or the left – At other brands, just finding your vision and just staying true to it, and not you know diversifying too much too soon. I mean, I yeah, you know, and maybe not selling out (laughs) and never sell out. That's definitely I'm just I would never like it's just not at all. Yeah,
0: because I think life is long, and I don't know, like what's the point? Like,
1: what are you gonna do? Make it special and make it authentic.
0: What about the experience working for Calvin cemented your commitment to working in fashion? I mean, did you were you were, were you ever like I, I got to get out of here? I'm never working in here again? Or no, was- I
1: definitely got the bug. Um, I definitely was seeing how I did not need to stay in New York any longer, and then mm-hmm. the lore of the South and being with <laughs> my husband and wanting to, who was then we were dating, but we were getting close to getting engaged, and I really I saw the commute and the fashion industry and what it did to people, the harshness of the city. With families. With families. Yeah. And I saw the young women who wanted families so badly and uh. couldn't get that because they yeah. were so driven or so dedicated to the industry, and they were truly sad. Yeah. And, and I was really observing that. And so I saw, you know, I've got something here, and um, I knew I wanted to do something eventually, but I really I backburnered it. Yeah, for a long time, and then I exploded.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. You really, you really hid that <laughs> and, and waited. I just—it was all brewing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I would say you, you, you definitely identify so much as an entrepreneur. Now, was it something that you, you think was in you then?
1: Yeah, I've always dreamed of that. We talk about it. Everyone in my family's uh, big business people. Other than me, I was always the artsy one. The oh, <laughs> right, Susan, yeah. she'll just she'll <laughs> draw that, she, you know. And it, I was always not poo-pooed, but I was never that going to be the business person that knocked it out of the park. Yeah. So I kind of felt like I had a little bit of something to prove. I, I was always brewing and.
0: And how did you know that raising three children completely waiting for this
1: dream? How did you know that was important? So just intuitively, I kind of always knew it. I I'm a big visioner and I'm I like to sort of listen to the, you know, the world and <laughs> what it's telling me and I knew at the time that being a general surgeon and the intensity at which my husband had to Practice in this small southern town because you kind of have to be a doctor to everyone. He, yeah. And he, that was his dream to wear all those hats and to come home. It really was his true dream. And now he's done it for 30 years.
0: And you live in his hometown. Yeah. In, in a Monroe. small yeah. Monroe, which is a small town.
1: Um, in northeast from? Louisiana. It's truly almost to Arkansas. Right. And so you know, going back there and having him fulfill his dream. And we raised the kids together, but I definitely had to be the one that was full on. And then when my son was a freshman and the girls had graduated and gone on to college, we pretty much had a power. I knew that I couldn't, you know... and my daughter's now a therapist and she's like mom there's a name for that it's you know and there's a psychological name when you, and you is know, you're it? almost 50 there's a name i'll have to ask her but you're almost 50 you're in your late 40s and you're like who am i what's my legacy i'm going right. to leave what's my identity and that was like creepy and i think that's what you call a midlife crisis somebody <laughs> you know when they buy the Porsche or they have the affair but i felt it i'm like i am feeling that big time and i think <laughs> it's time and so i just asked their permission and they were like Go for
0: it. Mom. They, your children,
1: and your husband. Yeah. Oh, it was like he, had, go, go, go. And yeah. had you
0: said had you said anything to him early on like this is I just want you to know like this is not going to be it for me. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And, and he said, "Great." He was always fine with me doing it all yeah. along. He's super supportive, like the nicest guy. But we knew that with his profession, we just couldn't find the balance. Yeah.
0: And and I would say I would think traveling from Monroe is probably not simple. So
1: no, it's just <laughs> it's a bear. <laughs> yeah.
0: Did you ever during the time of raising them? Did you ever sketch out sort of the dream that you had?
1: I was always thinking about it, and I knew it was going to be you know caftans and tunics or dresses, and I was always you know very obsessed with textiles. But mainly, I used my painting as my creative outlet. Mm-hmm. So all those years, I did shows. I did this sort of form of abstract expressionism that I called atmospheric scapes and Mm. with no sketching at all, just a way to release the creative (laughs) energy. And I'd paint sometimes till three in the morning, four in the morning. And I have a dear friend who's an interior designer. And so she actually, when we first moved to Monroe, my husband and I kind of had to come to Jesus that we both needed a creative outlet. And so he said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to get a band together, and you're going to have your first show by fall of this year. <laughs> and so in November, he had this band called Code Blue and the Flatliners, <laughs> and I had my first art show at my dear friend's um, store. Oh, wow. So that was sort of our way of saying, okay, we got to keep the creative going through yeah. all of this. Did you have a studio? I Back of the house or anywhere in the house. I mean, my stuff was everywhere. <laughs> I mean, I I'm messy that way. Every closet just – was not, I was not organized about the art art supplies.
0: <laughs> Were there signs that you that this would be a project, a collaboration with India? I mean, had, had you had connections to India? You know, before?
1: I I didn't. And the the India thing um, happened because, in an effort to fill my time mm-hmm. and do something meaningful in the community, I was on a lot of boards, and I was on the you know president of the the local museum and the the Episcopal Day School that the kids went to. And there was a woman who grew up in India who was on all these boards with me, and she had a family. Uh, design team that made all of their clothes—a mm. couture tailor husband and wife. Right, right. We actually started this little line together, and it was called Sue Anu at the very beginning. Oh. and she, and that's where the precipice came with India.
0: I mean, how did that start? She, you—I you, mean, were yeah. you familiar
1: with with block printing? And so it started with hand dyed silks. Anu and I decided, okay, we're going to do ten to twelve samples mm-hmm. of hand dyed. Silks, like eighty gram, like the finest silk you can get in India. In right, so okay. we we designed, like I designed a tunic, a caftan, and then we did long and short. We did sleeveless. We added the band collar, and then we did just a couple square cotton caftans, and they block printed this little elephant. The elephant was our symbol, mm-hmm. so we had these, you know, about twelve, maybe fifteen, with the block couple teeny block prints um, caftans. And we had a pop-up in the in our hometown. It was gangbusters. Oh, really? But I think because we allowed them to choose from anything and, you know, diet any color okay. and any style <laughs> and any size, the touch involved with making the, that first order <laughs> was tremendous. So we learned, okay, we need to um, – we can't Rain give in. them too much uh, – uh, options and so from there it just it took off and so, and a couple years later Anu moved to Houston and and she works for her family business has a very large family with younger children uh-huh. than than me and so um I took the, it under Sue Sarter and then I started working with Jaipur and the block printing yeah. studios there and now Everything's come full circle since 2015, 16. And now I'm back working with the same husband-wife team. Oh, wow. And we have our own workrooms in Delhi and they run it. And so, and I just got to visit them. And they, um, it's a husband-wife team, and we have 28 people working for us. But the block prints are still outsourced. (laughs) Mm And what I didn't know getting into it was that block printing is a it's a family business yeah, and it gets handed down from family right. to family. So we actually are working with three different workrooms now. Um, and I'm trying to design a lot of my own proprietary blocks because you do see block printing out there mm. in the industry a lot. Right. And so, but they're heading that up for me as well.
0: What was it like the first time you went to India?
1: So three times I got put off because of COVID. Right. And so this was actually my first trip to go in person, which mm. was just last month. Oh wow! Yeah, so I did everything on WhatsApp oh. in the middle of the night, and tons of I have hundreds of thousands of pictures on my phone and <laughs> sketches and back and forth, and it's amazing how much you can do without being in person. But I was dying to get over there, and it was yeah. amazing. And there were tears. And there I was, was going to say
0: I bet you it could. was <laughs> in
1: incredible meeting them. It just brought me, it really almost brought me to my knees because it was just this buildup. Yeah. And then I walk in and I see them and it's just hugs and all the master G's lined up and the patterns and Aww. everything I had sent. Yeah. It was just so validating. And yeah. It was, I just saw it all come before me in that moment. Yeah. It was pretty cool.
0: <laughs> I've told the story before, but I know uh, Dries, the story about Dries mm-hmm. and his... um the embroidery workshops he works with in India that he he did this one big collection that was filled with these incredible embroideries and then real and then the next season that wasn't sort of part of the plan yeah. and he realized that this company would go out of business <sighs> and so every single season he has embroideries because he ha- he's devoted to this family that's right you, you do know, become team.
1: Devoted, and they are reliant on that. And then once the workload increases, yeah. they get more people, and they become reliant on that right. level of work expectation. And so, and that we had big chats about that. I'm like, no, we're we're growing, we're growing thoughtfully, and we're yeah. still going to be small batch, and we want to have integrity. Yeah, but everybody has a job and you Know we're going to move forward and this, it, and it is hard to scale over there, yeah, because every dress is made one at a time, and right, it's hard to find that balance. But <laughs> I think we've achieved it. I know a lot of people don't stay working with India for that reason, yeah. Um, it's a <laughs> it's definitely, definitely, it's different not way of for working. the faint of heart. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we and you'll get back, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Your business is five years old, mm-hmm. yeah,
1: I'd say it's about five since it kind of caught on.
0: What year did you feel like you were Nin- successful? It was
1: 19. And it was like right as COVID was happening Right is when it took off. And so I kind of, you know, had to turn to social media like so yeah. many.
0: Which probably really built your business. It, it really did. Than... I
1: mean, it, Instagram became and still is about 40%, which the, wow. the, the growth, the statistic is about 14, I think. And, wow. you know, we want, obviously we can't take social media for granted and we can't discard it, but Mine's still very much driven by social media or by Instagram.
0: What year did you feel like this was going to be
1: successful? It was definitely 19. It was when um, I was at a pop-up for Natalie Bloomingdale with The Sill. Um, she has these incredible pop-ups. And we had gone out to L.A. and done an event with her uh, in Casa Perfect. And we were in Houston uh, at Paloma's shop on Bama Lane and I unboxed the first box of the flounce dress mm-hmm. and
0: <laughs> people no one was interested in off. the
1: caftans anymore. It was, we, they were just <laughs> digging in the boxes and it was so yeah. much fun.
0: Yeah.
1: And I was, and that was the dress I really had put the most thought into. Yeah. And then that- And, and it, it was the most
0: you it probably. It
1: became, the Yeah.
0: But what do you think is so successful about it? Why do you think it connects with people so much?
1: You know, I think part of it was the timing. Because at the time, the caftans were really hitting and the house dresses because of COVID and people were home more. Yeah. And then the designers were still, you know... The building boom was happening because people were wanting to make their homes more beautiful during COVID. And so the designers were still going to their site visits. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to wear a comfortable. But not look overdone. Right. And so they could throw them on with their tinnies. Yeah. Um, or their cowboy boots or their Birkenstocks and, you know, ball cap. And they still looked chic. Yeah. It, there was this pattern play and this whimsical, fun part of it. And that kind of made it really take off was the designers wearing them as well. Right. But then everybody at home still wanted to be pretty and and I think because we kind of went dark for a little bit, the people wanted to be light and be happy and be joyous. And I think that came out of COVID too. So I kind of the colors. Hit, yeah. And in yeah. the pattern play and the colors and the whimsy. And I think that kind of hit at the right time. And I hope that. I hope that it'll be something that stays mm. as a forever thing even though we are going to get more sophisticated in fashion again and more streamlined and more solid color block, you know. Yeah. I just I think well, I hope it'll stick.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I I th- I have a theory and I this is coming from a recovering double mastectomy, but I yeah. think it is a I think it lifts your boobs. <laughs>
1: Yeah, because of where the yeah, gosh, I gosh, my need to be lifted—that's for sure. <laughs> I
0: think that I think it covers your arms. I think it it yeah. gives you a waist, even if you don't have a waist. Yeah. I think I think it's actually specific elements like that. Sure, color, sure joy. Yeah, but oh, uh, and, then the cut, and then it and then it's long enough yeah. that it, it hits right at the thank best you. part of it's your meant leg. to be
1: flattering. I, I grew. I up think it's curvy. really smart. Thank you. I grew up very curvy and I I never would tell anyone, but I would buy like a size or two larger and I'd alter it down so that I could have the curve and the waist. And I loved being feminine, but I found that most things that I loved in the design world were cut straight. Yeah. And so I really wanted – It to my line to be an all play kind of thing, but feel feminine and give you shape. So thank you for
0: (laughs) recognizing that. I think one of the most important parts of your story um, for the women listening is going to be the age that you started the business. Mm. You were 47 years old.
1: Mm. You know, if I could go back and do it over, I probably would have gone and, you know, I don't know. I was very much thoughtful in the way that I did it. I wish I had a little more, you know, inertia behind it, but (laughs) Everything happens for a reason, and I definitely waited, and I definitely feel that if someone has a vision or a dream, you know, uh, clearly it's never too late to start. (laughs) But what I'm finding now is that when I meet people in the industry, most of them are so much younger than me, Mm. I don't ever see, I've never seen age, I've never seen defining things like that, I've always just seen the person, that's just what I love about um, just our mutual humanness, but so I'm meeting all these cute young people, and I'm thinking they're not seeing me as being will older, you, but they're seeing me more in like a mentor. You, but you look like
0: you're like 25, so no, I don't oh, think that yeah, counts well, actually,
1: not, well, hardly. <laughs> but but yeah, I just think everybody should go for it. I think just it's always always a good time to exercise your creativity and follow your dreams. And there, everybody can have different phases of their life too. And I have to say, I'm, I'm having the best time of my life right now. Yeah. So
0: you're a self-proclaimed optimist. Yeah. How, how has this evolved during this process? Oh my gosh.
1: I would always get in so much trouble because people would say you're way too, like your glass is way <laughs> too full and you, you're going to be taken advantage of. And you Got to be more pragmatic. And I think as I've gotten older, enough has knocked me down Mm. Um, and I've kissed enough frogs and I've (laughs) seen the reality of what life can be like, um, either through health crisis or just the reality in business of what can happen that, you know, just more of a realist. But I'm really holding on to trying to stay very optimistic because I think we need to be – we need more of it, you know. And so I don't want to let go of it, but I'm more of a realist now.
0: Do you think that this would have been a different career if you'd
1: started it at 25? Oh, yeah. I have no idea. I really don't. Yeah. I think had I stayed in the industry, I would have kind of worked up through the ranks and probably been within a design house longer and always kind of wonder what that would have looked like because I admired – Susan Sokol, who was the head of women's mm-hmm. collection, so much, and Pat Prion, and my boss, Monica Robb. Two of my bosses were African. I first, right out of college, were so two African American women who were just dynamite. So I think I would have stayed and and seen what that was really like, but that just wasn't my path. So
0: do you think that this has been more successful because you started it later? Oh,
1: yeah. No, I think so. Because I'm definitely, I'm, I'm, I don't sugarcoat things anymore. <laughs> I go right for it. I trust my gut. I really believe in that. And I just – all the way. And it hasn't failed me yet. I mean, I just – and also, it's just me. I mean, I have some, some help now, thank goodness. But I think when it's you and you and you can trust your decisions, mm-hmm. and I know – I mean, my gosh, I follow you and your ability to curate and you're using your instincts. I mean, being older allows you to trust in your instincts. Yeah. And it's an awesome feeling. So awesome. It is really different. I love it. Mm -hmm. It's a confidence that comes with it that's really great. Guys, you have a lot to look forward
0: to. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's so funny. I just turned 51 and um, somebody sent me a picture of – us when we, a friend and I were in traveling we were like 38, mm-hmm. it was my 38th birthday or something like that. Mm. And I was like, I don't even remember, like, I, then I was like, I don't even remember turning 40. <laughs> like, that seems so long ago. Mm-mm. I don't even.
1: I don't either. <laughs> I really don't it's I, just about today and what's and I, yeah, forward yeah
0: and i do and i do feel younger than i did then for sure i looked at the pictures and i was like i don't even know that person oh
1: i'm way more lighthearted and yeah. um i was very serious all throughout my childhood and i'm much more lighthearted and fun now
0: and do you think that's from children
1: i think it's just life experience i also think some people are born older and <laughs> are more layered with yeah. however you want to look at it and i was very very born very old yeah and very like i always had a serious look on my face and was always drawing and always, you know, and now I'm, I I mean, I love laughter. I love fun. I'm very lighthearted and um, serious about my business, but I don't take myself seriously at all. Yeah. You know. Rare. Yeah. I mean, I just (laughs) don't. It's just, (laughs) you know, life's too short. I think just being here in this space is what's been so important to me. You know, I don't want to use the word bucket list because I really don't like it, but it it has been. I mean, it. I didn't. I visioned a lot for myself in my life, and then when I knew I was going to start this business, I just put a few things. And it's. I don't like keep a huge cork board or anything. Mm-hmm. I do with my designs now, but my visioning board's all up here. Mm-hmm. And I love, and like for example, with my husband, we're doing that now because he doesn't see things that way. And I love to vision. Yeah. And you know, he's practiced for 30 years. Like, what's the next step? You love music, you love philanthropy, you want to give back to the community, you love golf, you know, play guitar, you play. <laughs> is guitar, he still, practi- you play- he still practicing? Yeah. 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 But um he also like plays pedal steel and plays yeah. guitar and is a great vocalist, loves to write music, but has never been able to really dive in. And so just talk about visioning. So for myself, um, one of the visioning things was, was, you know, if I was to have a relationship with a, someone in the industry and you were on my visual. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Because I just admire and respect what you've been able to accomplish and s- staying true to yourself and well, the brand. And, um, it's amazing to, to watch. So being you. in this I space right now, well, is very well, amazing for me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but I, I will say just, being still like still standing after 25 years I think that's more I don't know how well I've done it but I just I do know I'm still standing and yeah you know that that's you realize as you go along that's the hard thing actually
1: yeah <laughs> because yeah.
0: it's hard keep going and yeah. find balance
1: and yeah Be- juggle and, and it it's all. you
0: it's you leading that yeah it's, it's you driving that that's right um, and you have to continue to have that drive to to keep it rolling.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, no doubt.
0: Well, thank you. What do your children have to say about your success?
1: Oh, gosh. <laughs> I know that kind of makes me it's emotional too. It's a <laughs> choker upper. <laughs>
0: I know, because yeah. you have you have really, really accomplished, interesting, lovely
1: children. Oh, yeah, they're really great. Um, they're all so different, which is great. You know, that's the sign of a great parent. Oh. <laughs> wow. Well. They love it. And the girls aren't interested. They're not, you know, going to – I'm not passing the baton to them. And My son (laughs) is, um, we think, going into business, so maybe, but not interested right now. (laughs) They're thrilled. Like, they're really supportive and great. And they encourage me a lot. And they take a lot of pride – in what I'm doing and I think they're inspired by it. Yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> My how do you voice think, is gonna crack, but yeah, how do they you they do think tell me that
0: watching them follow your dreams, how do you think that's affected them?
1: I think that yeah, you've got to follow your soul's calling and do what do what's right for you and and they they each are doing that. And I think that's a big message for all the young people today is don't sell out S- stick with it and do what feeds your soul and yeah. it will pay off and do it when the timing is right for you, but definitely do it.
0: Well, and it's interesting too, because I think that the other thing, I have no doubt you would have been successful whenever you had, had done it, but I, I think it's an interesting time because I think before you would not have had the ability to uh, almost be successful on your own because because of the control with with social media. Yeah. You know, I mean, in the past it was like, can I get placed in Vogue? Can right. I get you know Elle to write about me? Right. And then I could be successful. But right. now, like it's, it's totally it's one hundred percent in your control. It's, yeah. a, it's a
1: fascinating time. That's such a great point, and that's exactly when it all started to kind yeah. of happen and. And so, exactly—that's mm. exactly how it happened for me. And social media is, of course, a double-edged sword, but it's here to stay. <laughs> and so, from a marketing perspective, yeah. it's super important that we harness it and we use it yeah. thoughtfully. But we need to use it.
0: Yeah, it's it's a really powerful
1: time. It is very powerful.
0: I Thank need you. to know what you wore to the prom. Oh
1: my <laughs> God. <laughs> oh, prom. Okay. <laughs> Gosh. So one year I wore a strapless. It's it was white. Ooh, and I did like pearl drop, the double pearl drop earrings. Pretty. It was slightly iridescent, like Ooh. a damask. Damask. So it had a floral pattern woven in it, but in it was sort of you know, it was iridescent. There How was sort pretty. Of like that some sounds rainbow. very Calvin. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it was a foreshadowing with the floral and the color. And then A-line, don't know if it had pockets, but it should oh, have yeah, had should pockets. Have, for sure. So, and I think it was either Laura Ashley or Ooh, Laura yeah. Ashley. Um, but, you know, I wore a lot of like Jessica McClintock's oh, yeah. and Gunny Sacks. Gunny Sacks, I was going to say. So it was somewhere in that realm. I love it. It sounds but, fabulous. Yeah. And then one year I know I wore a hat. What? And put some, like, dried flowers. This is a first. Wait yeah, a minute. I did. I definitely I wore a hat. this ha- Yeah. What kind of hat? Uh, it was a straw hat. I think it was pink. Um, what? Yeah, I was into hats. I like this. I, yeah. Was it just like a floppy... Like, yeah, it was like a... Church, like a Maybe Easter it was hat? another foreshadowing. <laughs> like, it had, like, a brim. I don't know why I thought I needed... The hat, but I definitely and wore what, a hat.
0: But what in the world was the dress with this hat? I yeah, mean, I, I think it was. I more love that you don't even you the don't gunny remember. sack vibe.
1: I think no, <laughs> no. I you know I I just remember the hat.
0: That's unbelievable. Yeah, that is. A I first. was always
1: trying to make the one of the fashion <laughs> a fashion
0: moment. I love it. Um, don't you remember too getting Seventeen magazine and like oh. flipping straight to the gunny sacks oh, yeah. ads? Oh, you were yeah. like, okay, I would wear that, that one to the prom. I would not wear that to the prom. Yep,
1: <laughs> yep. that's it. <laughs> You nailed it. That's it. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Thank you, Sue, so much. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for having me.
0: What We Wore is produced by Capital and Balto Creative Media. The original song, Someone So Enchanting, was composed and performed by Britt Drazda. queencitypodcastnetwork.com.